uh, little reading. And then these are perhaps some pieces that you can pick up and you don't expect you to remember them all. But uh, this one's the Book of the Fours, the Numerical Discourses. Book of the Fours 171, it may intrigue you. When there is the body, then because of bodily volition, pleasure and pain arise internally. When there is speech, because of verbal volition, pleasure and pain arise internally. When there is the mind, then because of mental volition, pleasure and pain arise internally with ignorance itself as condition. Either on one's own, one performs that bodily volitional activity, conditioned by which pleasure and pain arise internally, or others make one generate that bodily volitional activity, conditioned by which pleasure and pain arise in one internally. Either with clear awareness, one performs that, or without it. clear comprehension or clear, um, say, responsible cognition. You really know what you're doing. And similarly with verbal, which includes thinking, one performs that verbal volitional activity, conditioned by which pleasure and pain arise internally, or others make one perform that verbal or thinking Activity conditioned by which pleasure and pain arise internally, either with or without clear comprehension. Hmm. And then similarly, pleasure with mind, one performs that mental virtual activity conditioned by which pleasure and pain arise internally, or other, others make one perform that mental volitional activity condition by which pleasure and pain arise internally with or without clear comprehension. Ignorance is comprised within these states. But with the remainderless fading away and cessation of ignorance, that body does not exist, condition by which pleasure and pain arise internally. That speech or thinking does not exist, conditioned by which that pleasure and pain arise in one internally. That mind does not exist, conditioned by which that pleasure and pain arise in one internally. That field does not exist, that sight does not exist, that base does not exist, that location does not exist, conditioned by which that pleasure and pain arise in one internally. It's not easy language. It's to do with the basis of one's volition, one's choices, uh, one's impulses, or volitional activity, sankhara, you know, what we rise up, how we act. Uh, and uh, the consequences, painful or pleasant. Naturally, pleasant is pleasant. 
Um, And also because you do it yourself or other people, you just get conditioned into doing it. You follow the follow the tribe. You go along with it, either knowing what you're doing or not knowing what you're doing. And so ignorance bound up with this, with a cessation of ignorance, niroda. And then that body does not exist. That um, speech, including internal chatter, and that mind does not exist. And you may very well wonder, how can they not exist? Surely... You know, Buddhas have bodies, and uh, they speak and think, and they have minds. Uh, so how do they not exist? Mm. Uh, well, what do you consider, what, what, what exists for you? Mm. When you're sitting here, do your toes exist or not? Do you sense them? Are you with them or not? Are you with your hair, cells, spleen? Do you not have cells, hair, spleen? (laughs) You see what I mean? Right now they don't exist. They're not manifesting. They're not coming into manifestation. So existence here is talking about actually what's, you know, what's coming into reality for you. So it helps to get some perspective on it. When we talk about mind, here the term is mano, and mano rather than chitta. Mano is mind as that which creates discrete objects. It's the defining mind. It's the measuring. It's the mind that searches, sights, thought base, and picks up something. So that's a goose. That's a oh yeah. That's dinner. That's Susan. Mm. It frames attention, labels something. That's mano, the measurer. Mm. And it's jitta, which doesn't do that. Jitta, which is just the arising of or the, or the passing of impulses. It doesn't really create distinct objects. It creates a felt subject when it wells up. Mm. Sense of me. Wells up, it becomes me. Mm. And this doesn't cease. The word niroda is not applied to citta. Niroda is applied to mental consciousness, manovinyana, which means it just stops creating things. But citta, they don't use the word niroda. There's a term meaning something like atangamo, which means non-manifesting. It goes into non-manifestation, which means it doesn't create anything, and yet it's still there. So we might liken this to what? how can that be the case? How can something be there but not be 
creating manifestations. Well, it's like if you, example, say you have a, a lake, and first of all, there's a lot of fish in the lake, and wind blowing the lake, and tremendous waves, and dark patches, and bright shimmerings, and ripples, and yeah, yeah you see the lake, and you maybe you start to get you know, curious about the shapes that are created, the curiosity, looking into the ripples and the waves. What oh, looks like this? What's that? What's that? That's the manner. That's the mind creating discrete objects out of what are really just ripples. And then if the mind, if we turn away from that, just go to the fact of rippling, then you're more like entering the realm of chitta. And because now you're not fascinated by the shapes, the brightness, the dazzle, and the ceasing of passion, the lake begins to calm down. Because jitta responds to how, what kind of attention we give to it. And they say, what happened to the waves? Did you get rid of them? Did you cut them out? Did you destroy them? No, they stopped manifesting. And then you start to see your reflection in the lake. First of all, it's, it, it's maybe ten strips of light with shadows in it. Oh, that's, you know, I can see the, you know, there's me. And eventually, maybe it gets so calm that the image in the lake is just of a, your face. Where does the lake go? can't see the lake anymore because it's not doing anything. But you see your face. It's shining. Right, yeah. It's just an image. Does it mean there's no lake? No. I mean you can't see it? Well, not really. If it doesn't exist, well, I wouldn't say that. Does exist? I wouldn't say that. <laughs> what would you say? I can see things very clearly, without distortion. This means that jitta is not manifesting anything apart from what you turn it towards. Mm. And so that's, uh, you know, that's, that's really um, kind of, that's the image gives you a sense of the trajectory. Because I think what helps to recognize is you don't really necessarily notice immediately the benefits of your practice because you're still looking at the waves and getting stressed out by them or fascinated by them or running into them or splashing around in them. Yeah. That seems to be, this is the main thing of my life, is these waves. I want to get the right waves. Maybe if I get in there and really hammer them and splash around with them and get a, uh, an iron on them, I'll flatten them all out. And no, you won't. You just get them more stirred up. This is called the wrong kind of striving. And the Buddha uses this image of two strong men dragging a weak man towards a charcoal pit. Two strong men carrying this rather feeble person. They go throw him in the charcoal pit. This is called the wrong striving. Striving with the conceiving mind to get conceivable objects, conceivable ideas, conceivable states. And people by and large do that. We look for status, uh, identity, to become something, um, 
something knowable, something other people see, um, you know, something, some quality or another that we can store up, become. Um, maybe not necessarily evil, but just research. This is the people can really drive themselves to fits of despair, trying to get those right state of becoming something. Even, uh, you know, competition, sports, athletes, performance, people really throw themselves into that charcoal pit. Let alone corrupt desires. So is there no such thing as effort or exertion? Oh yes, there is. But you start from the right basis, which is the basis of citta. And you begin to notice what isn't arising. Notice what isn't there. (laughs) That speech does not exist. That thought does not happen. By which previously I got excited or angry or upset. That, That doesn't happen. Oh, there's no basis for it. You know, I'm not into how good I look or how famous I am or I never think about it. It doesn't happen. It's a non-starter. It's, it's, there's no foundation for it because it's all illusory. So we turning. And you recognize all the conceivables that we can come up with, some pretty foolish, some more interesting, you know, I want to be the most greatest monastery in the world or something like that. No, that's not the right kind of striving. The right kind of striving is how to Keep turning back to the chitta, cleaning, purifying, steadying, taking refuge in. Mm. I want to be the best good meditator, careful, careful. Mm. I want to be as good a, a monk as the next one, careful, careful. Careful, yeah. and what you're doing. Mm. You get very excited with these ideas. And what do you turn to? You turn to where your faith arises. Where you get a sense of I'm okay. Yeah, this possibility, I'm okay. I don't know what's okay. I would call it identity, but there's an okayness. The sense of aspiration, faith arises. Mm. And so this can be, you know, we to return to that, that quality, that's a citta quality. Becomes a mano quality, becomes a belief. It becomes an idea, then it becomes dogmatic. And everybody, you know, this is the best one. My God is better than yours. My Buddhism is better than your Buddhism. My, 
you know, and then it becomes a source of conflict. Relinquishing these, faith, this faith in goodness, I can keep precepts. Yep. One, better than none. <laughs> Five, better than, better than four. <laughs> yeah, and then you're looking at how comfortably and how frequently I can return to that. To that as the field, rather than the field in which one gets all kinds of mental objects arising. Was it calm, quiet? You know, it becomes normal. The idea of killing creatures is not something that has any traction. The idea of, you know, various kinds of actions don't occur by which people get excited and cause pain to themselves. And the Buddhists make it very clear, this gives rise to bodily internal feeling. What does this mean? It means that whenever we act, there's some kind of energy runs through the body. And we can see this very obviously, you get angry, you feel that flush, you get depressed, you feel that sinking, and you get tense, you feel that tightening up. You should do anyway, attend to that. Not to the objects, but to the, the felt experience in the body, because it'll always tell you exactly the truth. Whereas our thinking mind can justify, you know, I'm angry because she did this. Well, maybe. Or I'm just being clear, not angry, just clear. Mm, how's it feel? You feel that strong, bright, fiery energy. Mm. pleasure and delight and pain. And they get established. As we can see in, you know, people get addicted to power, to aggression, pushing other people around, domineering, and get addicted to manipulation. Um, and obviously some kind of, it possesses them till they feel lost without it. Yeah, the system's got wired up and on a less um, on a more broad level you know, people get wired up to the social realm in other words the volition of the social get a job, get faster work harder get on, get on, get on it's not, you know, by the volition of others one still experiences this bodily tension contractions, agitation by which areas of your body become inflamed, mostly your head, and other bits fade out. You don't even know you have aspects of your body. You don't know you have an out-breath. You, you do, but you, you don't, it doesn't exist for you. You don't know you have soft tissue in your hands. Your hands are soft, gentle tissue. They just feel like claws. You don't realise, you know, it doesn't exist. Instead, this kind of driven state of a tight head with a numbed out body gripping becomes the norm. And of course, this gives rise to actual 
breakdown of the body, immune system, allergies, nervous breakdown, neurological defects, and of course the addictions that people get into in order to compensate for that, to numb it out. Mm, So this spiral. Mm. But if one lives uh, in a pure way, those pathways, those energies, those bodily energies begin to fade and you begin to get a sense of, oh yes, I do have feet and hands and fingers and a back, an open space. It becomes alive and tingling. And so that contracted, that dead body doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, so certainly in my experience of teaching, teaching retreats, it's not uncommon for people to say they can't feel their body at all. Or barely. Just so seized up. We're living in a a tight, so seized up cocoon contracted just by the ferocity of nervous stress it requires to keep going. Family insecurity, job insecurity, financial insecurity, fear, aggression, everything closes down. This way we see that just the sense of having faith in virtue, repeatedly returning to it and acting it out living it out peacefully, fully, trying to get in touch with what's happening as you act. Itself is rebuilds. So the old, you know, spun out, frantic, nervous state doesn't exist, based upon which one can all kinds of careless, compulsive actions. And much more can be said about you know, the speech basis, which includes the thinking mind, the endless chattering, spinning, proliferating, planning, comparing, contrasting, fretting, worrying, you know, creating enemies, uh, you know, speculating about this, that and the other, and creating enemies in the mind. Fear, paranoia, very common. And the thinking, then the mano, the conceiving mind, you know. So you look around, you see people, she looks, she looks, she looks strange, he looks dangerous. And so you start to create people and project all these fears, irritations into other people. The thinking mind, the conceiving mind, weaves, manomaya, dhamma. Manomaya, mind is the chief, mind is the weaver. And so we weave, or the mind, the thinking mind, the conceiving mind weaves images and impressions. Uh, Extremely convincing. Based upon, then you look back and you return, and this is fear. This is anxiety, this is aggression, this is, oh, 
You look at the, you know, you turn back. Turn back and you establish, don't need to do that. Why do you not need to do that? Because you take refuge. Returning. Other people may be this or that or the other or hate me or whatever, but right now I take refuge in awareness, purity of conduct, right speech. This is what I can do. One day something will kill me, either internally or externally. Could be tomorrow, could be tonight. Could be another person, could be a disease, could be a brick falling on my head. (laughs) Could be me making a mistake, cutting my hand off with a chainsaw or something. But right now, I take refuge. Returning to Chitta. Chitta doesn't die. This is so we take refuge in it. Your faith in it becomes a vehicle. Faith in what? Faith in some third quality. It's not about conceiving. It's about something felt sense, awareness. Where we're coming from, where do our volitions arise from? You turn to that and you keep aware of where volitions arise from. So that way of thinking does not have to operate. That mind does not exist. Whereby create pain and pleasure. No, particularly over time, you know, you just notice certain ways of conceiving experience. Stop. Better, worse, attractive, unattractive. I know people get very hung up about whether they're attractive or not, thinking attractive, unattractive. Don't get it, what's that, you know? Doesn't happen. That way of seeing things. Mind doesn't add these things up. And so we can see how these are, you know, taking refuge in non-existence. <laughs> and Buddhist language is somewhat cryptic and enigmatic. Once you get it, you go, oh yeah, that. It's when the ripples and the resonances are not crashing around. And open, unconceiving, poised. And it stabilizes in itself. Don't have to compare and contrast, conceive and worry, like and dislike. Don't have to think about this, that, this, that. Speak about this, that and this, that. Those ways of thinking don't have to occur. Oh, relief. Relief. There's more space. The lake seems wider, cooler, easier. And that should something one should attend to. And one's faith will increase. And the energies that um, 
cultivate the turning of energy to that sense of gathering, collecting, purifying. You trust them. Even though some habits can take a long time to cool down or ease out. They get built in as reflexes. People live on their toes, ready to jump to the next moment, ready to go to the next thing. Wait, wait, pause, get on, just come back onto your entire foot. When you're walking meditation, just get the foot onto the ground before the next one moves on. It could be as simple as that, checking a habit to keep on to the next thing. You don't have to stop still, but just feel the one foot landing on the ground and softness of the foot, the weight rests on it, and the other foot comes up. And it's almost like you're walking without any volition, just letting the body do it rather than driving it along. You're moving and you're still at the same time because the mental volition is just quiet. Not thinking of walking meditation, not conceiving it, not conceiving whether it's secluded enough, whether it's sunny enough, cool enough, what other people are doing, whether they're walking too fast, too slow, what she's wearing, what he's wearing. It's kind of like, <laughs> do that for? You know, it's just a foot movement. Is this enough for walking? It's enough. Yeah. And uh, it's going to take time because, you know, often the, uh, you can put a lot of effort into getting it right. Uh, but you haven't actually landed in the right spot. And something these... Um, Remember the Burmese Sayadors who put a lot, a lot of, uh, uh, they often use, you know, make effort to drive on with diligence. You must keep going. But when they teach in America, they'd say, listen to the results, what people are telling in the interviews. So, hmm, couldn't get it. What's going on? What? Getting tense? What? Getting anxious, critical? Tense, anxious, critical? What? what? I couldn't understand it. Because in Burma, such faith is just such a most genetic, <laughs> just built into it. So, <laughs> you know, faith is so built in that when people get to retreats, they're just welling up with gladness and joy and, oh, really, let's deepen and calm and steady and, oh, open to that, you know, rising up because from the faith vehicle, America, not, no faith vehicle. All this performance vehicle, you know, performance got to get to the next thing. So getting tighter and more stressed, and more tense, eventually kind of can't do this. And it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a lovely offering, and it becomes like a terrible kind of a work project. You know, no, no, there's striving, but there's striving which is gladness. <laughs> You're happy. You think, oh yeah, this is great. Let's let's move along here. Let's yes, open into that, release that. And you're coming from the right base. They say it's it's they say it's strange. They use the image. Say, oh yeah, well, in America people put a lot of effort in. But it's like you're seeing people in a rowboat 
and everybody's rowing like crazy. But they don't have the boat in the water. It's on dry land. They're putting a huge amount of effort in, but they don't have the boat in the water. So it's just getting tired and stressed. And you put the boat in the water, not much, you'll move. you just got to steer the currents and then you get more confident, you can move in the current. But you're riding in that current. When the beginning of that current, faith, sada. I can keep precepts and really rejoicing in that. Not just the fact of it, but the quality, the love of harmlessness, the love of honesty, the love of having clean speech that doesn't leave stains. The love of non-manipulative. I could wangle that and get this down the other, but oh, I don't like. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> and I just back off. Just. Mm. And, uh, and beautiful things. Mm. Mm. Generosity. Reflecting on this uh, woman we've been mentioning, Ajahn Hinks, because we've been mentioning Gunwani. We probably wouldn't want to be mentioned <laughs> because uh, enormously generous, but also quite shy, reclusive, and as is often the case in Thai culture particularly, you keep your offerings, you keep quiet about it. They call it putting gold leaf on the back of the Buddha. You don't show off. It's really a bit gross. So she made enormous offerings, but she was very quiet and just kind of like slightly embarrassed. Uh, strange, well, you know, uh, yeah, she would, uh, very occasionally she'd come to the monastery and she'd just come and say, oh, come to Cecil Beto. And then she'd pay and, and, and he'd say a few words and then she'd look, and she'd look around and she'd take note. She'd say a very simple few words and she'd look around. And, and then she next day, or a few days later, something would arrive. She'd seen something was missing. So, you know, oh, I could see that. I could put didn't mention it, just brought something in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she gave, uh, uh, you know, she looked around. So when we, uh, we used to all sit in the shrine room in the house and she didn't think that was good enough. And so some idea of building a dhamma hall. I put all, so she just heard word of that. Yeah. All the funds to create a dumb hall, and then let it, just let it be. And then, actually, it didn't get used because then they wanted to start Amrawati. So, can we use that? Oh, yeah, whatever. Just for some go, do whatever you like with it. You know, that kind of total openness. And then she also would like, uh, uh, she'd look around and you know, Suchito, you're too thin. Not good. Not good, too thin. She'd be very direct, and then she'd give a little giggle. <laughs> and then, you know, and then she, I found out she decided she wanted to build this kuti. Uh, 
I used to live in what's now used to be the grain store, and it's about you, you well three strides. He, three strides, I could easily, maybe two and a half strides, I'd get across from one side to the other of the room. Small one, it was, it was my office, I had filing cabinet, table, and I managed to crunch down in between the filing cabinet and the table at night to sleep, then get up, roll up my mat, shove it under the table. So that was it, that was the abbot's quarters. And I was, I was, you know, grateful because some people didn't have that much. You know, one stride, you'd be having your foot in somebody else's stomach because they were, they were living together. So I had my own little box that was considered, you know, top dog. <laughs> she said, oh, Abbot needs proper cootie. So she'd put up money for his entire cootie dinner. I didn't ask for it. You know, I just found out. She didn't even tell me. Found out later. She thought it was important that happened. So, we, you know, they built the thing and then she came down to, she was in England. I thought, I'd like to see it. She just came to the front door and I was upstairs. I thought I'd show her around. She came with a bunch of people. I just heard the door open. She looked in, closed the door, walked away. That's enough. It's there. <laughs> Good enough. And, uh, you know, I think. So you get a sense of like that, just the. Uh, not looking for reward, <laughs> acknowledgement, anything, just, yeah. And just realizing when there's a sense of, I was reflecting what went last night and then meditating on that quality of faith and generosity and how one feels so held in this. Because she's not the only one. She's passing away, so it seemed appropriate. But she's no, no means the only one. It's happening. It's not just ties. It's not just women. You know, another probably certainly doesn't want to be mentioned. Person really helping to rebuild Amrawadi, pulling resources, whatever it can to make that happen. And people who serve, you know. Somebody who actually looks after all my talks and edits them and gets them summarised just just for the doing good, keeping the Dhamma going. And you think, I live in this. This is my world. That world does not exist where people fight and contend and hate and grab. That does not exist. I mean, I could, put, I suppose, I could put my mind there and read the papers. It exists, but actually, where I am, where I place my chitta, doesn't have to take up those cues and signals. So you know, you, in some ways, you have a choice. You can refer to this, that, and this, that, and this, that, what you like, what you don't like, what she is, and what he is, and what you didn't do, and what you should have done, and what you never were, and what other people did to you, and and see the results of that. Or you can refer to where the sadha quality arises. It's uh, famous, uh, well, it should be famous, Visaka, the great matriarch of Savati, and she asked the Buddha if she could make certain offerings like 
medicine for the sick and proper bathing cloths for the monks and nuns and um, so on, gruel to everybody, every monk or nun who comes to Savati. And the Buddha says, well, why do you want to do that for? She says, because when I, ever I see them, I will realize I have supported them. And that will make, bring gladness to mind. Pamoja, the heart will rise up. Gladness will arise. And when there's gladness, the heart will feel tranquil and settled. When there's that settledness, the mind easily unifies. The body feels refreshed and relaxed. When the body feels refreshed and relaxed, the jitta is happy and contented and easily enters, samadhi collects, and the enlightenment factors come into being based upon that, that actions. So the Buddha said, very good, that's the way to do it. You don't say, I like this monk, I don't like that monk. You know, he shouldn't eat so much porridge, she should eat, she should eat this, she just say, there it is. Non-measuring. You don't say, I'm only giving to the monks who get fourth jhana, or the nuns who have attainments, you say, just anybody who is living the holy life. And you live in that. And only, you know, just turning one's awareness to that, being in that, that field, rather than the field of greed, hatred, delusion. I'm getting mine. I don't have to turn up for this. I don't see why I should bother. Who are you to tell me what to do? It's, why live in that world? In which pleasure and pain arise internally. Unskillful states arise internally. So we turning to that faith vehicle and the qualities that emanate from that settledness and what doesn't arise and you're beginning to release the self-definition you know certainly with this I mean I hardly ever talk to her it wasn't like she had a big thing about me or I did something you know, said a few words, she just looked around her. Hmm. Too thin. <laughs> you need a break. <laughs> so she arranged a whole kind of, you know, vacation for me. I didn't ask for it, didn't I even know her. But just, you know, you look around, see the possibilities. This is someone who is serving, therefore. And not just for me, of course. But wherever. So she set up a whole house, gave a house in Bangkok. So this is for Sumeto, Pra Sumeto which meant, of course, he's not living in a house. I mean, all his disciples who come to Bangkok can now stay in his house when they have to do their health 
things or their visas or immigration or passing through or getting the airplane, they've got somewhere they can stay. And she never never even turned up. Never even went there. And this is for you. So you see, you know, you trace it back. Non-clinging. So what kind of, you know, taking it deeply and checking the volitions, a very little anecdote, I mean, when Lumpur, about the precepts, and Lumpur Pasano was visiting, I think visiting a cousin or something in Canada, the guy says, oh, you know, get the meal, and he says, have a shot of whiskey, Pasano said, no, no, don't touch that stuff. He says, well, well you know, well, nobody's going to know. He said, oh, no. <laughs> End of. <laughs> you know, that doesn't happen. And the sense of uh, faith is also termination, stability, and also you're giving a teaching. Just by that simple statement and action. You're giving a teaching. Integrity counts. Oh no. I don't have anything happening that I can't be open about. Oh no, I'm furtive, hiding things. Oh no, I'm manipulating. I don't want that. So we find in that vehicle, it's not just a sense of, you know, trying to be perfect, but if you know the mind feels open, clear, unfettered, and dwell in it. And that's your that's your that's the vehicle. That's the reference point. So these via dhammas, there are dhammas that arise and subside. They're just the kind of ripples that run across contact, but niroda means the underlying formative tendencies of the mind can be radically changed. It's important to sense that too, because we can be in a situation, and Sajjan Hingsako was mentioning the other night, you know, we can be in a situation where it kind of gets rather busy, a lot of stuff happening. This is the you know, see, mind stuff is happening, rising, passing through quite briskly. And just being aware, these are just moving, changing phenomena, perhaps not very agreeable. So I remember when I was thinking a lot of the Abbott's work, a lot of it, if I paused, reflect upon it, not much was very agreeable, really, <laughs> in terms of actual things to do, but the underlying quality was was oh, faith, reflect why, faith, other people benefit, great, you know, not holding back, oh, generosity of effort, you know, oh, these ripples on the surface don't really amount to much because the underlying current you know, is changing, the neuroda of 
self-interest, of pettiness, of moaning and complaining, of comparing and contrasting what I should be and what I could be, those currents wane nirodha. When those cease, then citta can be open, non-manifest, and something you can return to. So you have to look in the right place and measure things up, keep your attention broad. Just as the attention that naturally sits in the, around the body, uh, we rest the attention on the entire body, that's going to give you the best results because you can sense the sensitivities in the body, the numbness, the contraction, the tension, and just keep practicing releasing those, widening and softening, breathing through, releasing those, widening and softening, walking, releasing those. Once you learn or you become attuned to that kind of attention, then you can use the same thing for your mind. You have the whole mind, not just particular discrete objects or phenomena or trains of thought, but the whole thing without rejecting, without fascinating. And it will begin to level itself out because the differentiations, like the waves, begin to cease and you get some sense of sort of a clearer field of mind, which is not welling up and bubbling and boiling. You keep your attention wide. So than going into things, the overall sense, tense, too intense, slack, foggy, brisk, peaceful, and the tone, the tonality of faith, Generosity, virtue, shape, let those energies shape the mind, the citta. And then you find a proper basis for mindfulness, for how you attend and bear things in mind without getting tight or loose, you find the right way. So let's um, continue our practice.